Hi everyone, I'm Kyle Dyer and welcome to Colorado Inside Out on this Friday, November the 24th. I hope you're enjoying time this week with friends and family. Our normal panel is off this week, which allows us to introduce you to some exceptional leaders in our state who are determined to make the communities where they work and live better and they're working collectively to make positive impacts statewide through Civico. Civico is Colorado's premier leadership development organization, and every year, Civico chooses 30 leaders to be part of the Colorado Governor's Fellowship Program. First up, let me introduce you to Ryan Heckman, who's behind all this as chairman of the board with Civico. Ryan is also an entrepreneur at heart, and I think this is fascinating. You're an Olympic skier. Uh, the last 10 years, though, you really have focused on bringing the private sector and also um, government sector and and um, nonprofit communities together to make positive change. So thank you for what you're doing and for joining us this oh, week. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for the work you do, Kyle. Oh, yeah. Also, welcome to current Civico fellow, Ames Stenson, who is the program manager with the City of Englewood's Municipal Court Restorative Justice Program. Ames works with a variety of populations and makes partners in various sectors to bring about healing and accountability with communities, which is paramount for the success of individuals and communities at large. Also joining us is Civico Fellow, Azrael Madrigal, who lives in Alamosa and works to improve the lives of marginalized communities by making sure that resources are available to them. Azrael served as the executive director for the first Southwest Community Fund before becoming a regional director for Senator Hickenlooper's office. So thank you for coming as well. And at the other end of the table from me is a Civico Fellow who represents the private sector, Mike Treiser, a strategy and operations lead at Google. Mike has worked all over the country, but Colorado is home now, and he is very focused on how his work can ultimately do more to better communities in our state. Thank you all. Those introductions good? All right. Let's get started and peel the onion back a little bit and understand a little bit more clearly about why working together as a group is part of your individual purposes when it comes to making a positive difference. So Ryan, I want to start with you. I mentioned how you were an Olympic skier. You were Nordic combined, which is cross country and ski jumping. Okay, wow. Like how, that was a long time ago. I'm amazed. But how does that kind of translate into the work you do now leading and guiding future leaders for our state? First of all, it's so much cooler to talk about the ski jumping. Cross country <laughs> sounds so boring. So thank you for, uh, giving me that opportunity. But um, we were kind of talking about it earlier. You know, I, I find that the raw material of athletes at, at that Olympic level is roughly the same. I mean, you've got a lot of really talented people. They all train about the same number of hours per day. And the difference between those that won and lost seemed to be something inside of them where they just pushed themselves and others around them just a little harder. And they were surprisingly, the most successful ones were the most humble ones. And so my, my conclusion was uh, a leadership skill I admire is aggressive humility, which is this cool combination of someone who is really pushing hard, but is humble in spirit. Uh, and it, when it ties to leadership, we have a, uh, an expression that leadership is not a title, but an activity. And that with aggressive humility, that activity produces way better outcomes. Um, and so with our fellows, we talk a lot about they're not the chosen ones. They're the ones that made a choice to be aggressive and humble and lean into the state. I like that. That is wonderful. Ames, you have chosen to do this. You're currently working to make change with a restorative justice. Mm -hmm. For those who are watching who don't really know what that term is, 
could you explain it a little bit and how you're looking to make a positive impact and why this is so important to you? Yeah, absolutely. So restorative justice, we can think about that on the proactive side of things of building community, building rapport, connecting with one another through formal or informal ways, but also when a harm or a, or a crime even occurs, how can we use the same practices in ways to emphasize accountability and emphasize healing and repair? So um, there are all kinds of ways that we can do that. And I think the, the piece for me that feels the most important is that it's not just a practice that is external, it's actually an internal practice that I get to do myself and, and engage in um, how do I keep myself accountable in my own life? How do I, how do I build relationships and emphasize relationships in a way that uh, allows me to contribute to communities and contribute to um, healing and repairing harm within my, my own life and within our communities? And so um, it, it allows us to be in process with each other in a way that emphasizes these points around the values of um, how do we connect with one another and emphasize interrelatedness. We have a lot to learn from you. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Azrael, you grew up in Westminster, but now live in Alamosa. You went to Adams State for college. Um, what kind of change are you working to make happen for rural Colorado? Yeah, so first and foremost, I want to shyly admit that I had a really hard time adjusting to living in a smaller town, growing up in a bigger city with bigger amenities and close proximity to all the things. But one of the things that's so unique about rural Colorado and my community in Alamosa is the commitment to resilience and collaboration. And I think that's something that we all share in spirit throughout the state of Colorado. And one of the things that's very evident through this fellowship and very like-minded folks about how can we take these challenges that sometimes get find us an urban-rural divide and work on them in a way that we do know that when the whole state does well, we all do well, right? And, and it's so important to create that focus and realizing that there are unique challenges, but there are also so many unique opportunities and things to be learned from the front range, from areas like the San Luis Valley. And for me, that's one of the things that I want to share with my cohort, but also share with the community and those folks that it, it's really nice to explore the state and explore th those um, different unique uh, components that we get to enjoy. Okay, okay. Mike, as I mentioned, you're, you're not a, na a native of Colorado. You didn't grow up here, nor did I. Been living here for a long time though. What is it about the state and the people that brought you here and has inspired you to join this group, to choose to join Civico to try to make a difference? Yeah, well, first and foremost, it makes me feel particularly fortunate to get to be a part of, of this group and to represent you know, a growing uh, voice in, in the state, those of us who you know, have discovered how wonderful uh, Colorado is. It's, it's my seventh driver's license, so to your point, <laughs> I have a lot of comparative data points that, uh, that help me come to the conclusion that this is the right place. Um, I think the, the biggest aha moment as a recovering East Coaster for me uh, was getting here on a bicycle. Uh, I did a, did a cross-country bike ride with my brother and 30 other uh, young professionals uh, back then and, and came through the state going from Florida to California and just had this, this moment of, oh, this is, this is where I want to be. Um, you know, the, the mountains are, are an incredible place to be. It, it fosters really a, a cool sense of, of both independence, but also I think an openness in, in the community here that, that you don't necessarily find elsewhere. And so, you know, really, really grateful uh, for the chance to, to make my mark here. Okay. You all have mentioned what drives you individually, but now at Civico, you're working together. 
with other people from other communities, from different viewpoints, perhaps. Um, so, Ames, let me start with you. When you're hearing about what's going on in Alamosa or in Pueblo or in Grand Junction, is it overwhelming to figure out, okay, how can we work to make change, or is it inspiring? What's it like to work as a yeah. group? It's inspiring for sure. I mean, just the variety of perspectives that we share within the cohort uh, and being able to name the, the challenges that exist in these communities, but in a way that we're, I, th I feel like we're all coming into the conversation trying to pull some threads of where are the connection points. At least that's how I'm trying to engage. Um, and so it doesn't become kind of this us versus them. It's more of how do we identify the challenges to together in a way that then it's beyond, it's beyond politics. It's about what are the needs and the strengths and the values of how we want to work together to be able to then respond to these challenges. Um, and so that, that's what I've found is that as we get to know each other even more, uh, learning about the, the, the immense challenges and, and strengths of our state, uh, working together and, and pulling from collaborative uh, mindset and different perspectives to be able to address these, these uh, issues in a different way and, and maybe more of a creative or uh, way that has never been done before. Okay, so it's a, it, it doesn't seem too much, too overwhelming, because you all are... Not at all. Okay. Are there certain, let me just ask you, um, Azrael, are there certain strengths or challenges that keep coming up in the conversations you've been having these last couple months that you all do seem to share? Definitely. I think one of the most eye-opening and humbling experiences of this fellowship is that we really all show up and we show up and honor each other's experiences and knowledge and kind of understand that we really are all really well-versed at whatever our thing is that we have worked professionally to build and create and what we're passionate about. So one of the things that I think for me has been great is we talk about our, our country sometimes divided with politics and parties and how truly the spirit of bipartisanship really shows up in our fellowship. And we're willing to listen to each other and we're willing to acknowledge like, hey, we may not land on the same thing in this particular issue. However, though we're seeing perspectives and we're seeing how regardless we need to start working to a way towards a middle that ultimately makes lives better for our community. Uh -huh. And what about for you, Mike? Well, I, you know, I think to Azrael's point in terms of working to find common ground, something that, that I find really uh, to be a meaningful opportunity is, of course, for me, learning from folks who've been here for, for a long time. And I think about bridging the divide not only between, you know, the traditional maybe right and left that we see maybe more nationally, but also between the newcomers like me uh, and longtime Coloradans who absolutely have uh, a right, both sides have, have a right to bring meaningful perspective to how we build a better future for Colorado. So in my mind, it's, it's starting to recognize that those two things don't have to be mutually exclusive. Um, just as with our, our partisan debate, you know, I, we, we kind of retreat into camps, and the truth of the matter is, I think we all have common cause around a lot of things that are important, around a lot of things that don't even have to be um, partisan or, or divisive if we get down to, to practical solutions. I think a good example is education. I think you know a variety of, of folks who've been involved in the state's conversation a long time, and a lot of folks who are getting involved now uh, would both say that we want bright futures for our kids, our future kids, whatever, whatever that may look like. And if you look at the data, uh, there are some things to be really proud of. There are also some things that need a lot of work in terms of how we invest in, uh, in the classroom, in, in teacher pay, in competitiveness around what we're focused on, and state standards. So you know, there, there's a chance to, to bridge that divide around practical solutions and, and not retreating into camps or, or saying it's one side versus the other, but really uh, there are some opportunities to, to come together in a meaningful way based around information and, and taking the time to actually get to know each other. Mm -hmm. 
Um, Ryan, last year for this same week we spoke with some other fellows and education was a big topic then. Are there topics like education and are there other topics that keep coming back every year, every year that just we're so close to figuring out the right path? What is there one thing that keeps being a talking point with the fellows? I'm, I'm, I'm grinning because I don't even know if I want to bring this up. Okay. Uh, my mom was a school teacher and so I'm like, uh, like Mike, keenly focused on that session and it's just depressing. I mean, we're either one or two in the whole country in terms of educational attainment from the adults that live here in Colorado. And yet we're 40th in terms of K through 12 funding and we're 48th in terms of post-secondary funding. And I find that almost hypocritical, you know, that we all get this quality of life because of education, but we're not giving it to our own children today. It just, it kind of bugs me. And I hear it every year and every year, I just get a little more frustrated. You know, our Tabor uh, tax policy is a likely culprit, and it's not the nature of it. It's a lot of the details that are within Tabor that I hope someday someone has the courage to go fix it. Uh, I've been frustrated that it's become kind of like a, a binary have it or don't have it, and I think there's some parts of Tabor that are awesome. I mean, there's some real common sense behind it. The problem is that embedded within Tabor, are a lot of things that really hamstring um, really great leaders from doing you know, very common sense things that they just can't do. And so I view that as like there's a difference between fiscal discipline, which was the intention, that sounds great to all of us, mm -hmm. and fiscal dysfunction. And I've just, I guess I'll just keep holding my breath that someone steps up, maybe from one of our classes, and does some modifications to Tabor that would be good, great for all of Colorado. So let me sidetrack a little bit. So here's one topic, right? You all see stuff needs to change. We need to make education better, not only in metro, but in rural communities. So what can Civico fellows do? What do you do? What do you talk about? Who do you speak with? What can happen with Civico? If, if I may jump in, I think one of the things that's really dynamic about this fellowship is that the, the educational component. You know, we, we got, um, I know for me coming from a poli-sci background, I have been familiar with Tabor and different aspects of it, but really getting the, the deep dive of like, this is what the math looks like, this is what the numbers look like, this is the way that it's it's harmed the growth of our budget, and this is that the way that it doesn't let us fund our, our priorities. I think education being being one of them, infrastructure and these different components that are key, and I think that nobody is trying to shy away from transparency and accountability for government spending, but also realizing that uh, as a state, you know, it, it's really about like, show us what you care about, show us what you fund. And um, a lot of that we're not able to do because of, of this thing that can be a little bit restrictive. So when you ask like, what can the fellowship do? I think the fellowship's already doing one of the greatest step, which is here's the knowledge. This is what Tabor actually means as a policy outside, outside from the political binary. This is what the, the numbers say. And I think that's really important because there was a lot of folks in our, in our wonderful cohort that like knew about Tabor, knew about Prop HH and this big things in our, in our uh, policy and politics, but didn't like, okay, but what, what does it actually mean? What has it actually done? How has it actually stunted the growth of, of our priorities? 
That's such a great point, Ezreal. And I think on top of the content, on top of actually arming us with perspective on these state issues, whether we be uh, newcomers or not, I, I think the other side of it is giving us practical uh, application opportunities to figure out our own pathways. And, and I think something that has stood out to me and, and I think all of us is in the backdrop of let's understand these educational issues. Let's not be surface, surface deep. Let's not be talking points only. Let's really get to the heart of of what might be underlying these issues from the foremost experts who really care. But also, it's about you don't just have to run for office to get involved in, in public life right? and to contribute to the betterment of the state, because it's not for all of us. That's not the, the pathway. That's not the way that, that each of us is best positioned to contribute. It's not a group of 30 people who just want to run for office. Um, but it is 30 people who want to care, so I, I, who, who do care and, and want to contribute. So I think the, the, the other side of that is you know, we're also having conversations about, well, what are those other pathways? What do appointments look like? What, what do uh, volunteer opportunities look like to just get out the vote, for example? Um, and, and that, to me, has been really inspirational when you think about the state government structure and the, the local government structure and how, uh, how, how it's not one size fits all, but actually how do we find uh, those different pathways, as, as Azarel has already done uh, by joining Senator Hickenlooper's team. Mm -hmm. You must be like thrilled to hear your fellows talking like this. <laughs> it does make me very proud. I bet it does. So, you know, that's, uh, Colorado is evolving, you know, so many different ways in the last 10 years since Civico uh, was founded. Our state's changed, our population has changed, the demographics have changed, the cost of living has changed, everything. So Azarel, one thing that hasn't changed, which you mentioned earlier, is this urban-rural divide. And um, it's been talked about forever. How do we make that division go away? You said figure out how we all have the same problems, but that still that divide is there. So one of the things that I see very often, uh, being somebody who you know grew, grew up in Front Range, has family here, but um, now has gotten to call rural Colorado my home for almost 12 years, is that there is this sometimes this us versus them mentality. But when you truly get into the, the need of some of these um, problems that we're having throughout the state, like rising housing prices, like workforce, these are all things that we can figure out together. And I think one of the things that's really important, it really starts with conversation and respecting each other's priorities and resources. One of the things that, if I may share, we had the Colorado Latino Caucus do a, a visit down to uh, my area, the San Luis Valley, and it was so great to see a lot of state legislatures, which w the San Luis Valley isn't their voting base, but they were down there to learn about the issues and how we can make um, common sense legislation work for all of our region. And I really think it starts with conversations, and there's a lot of great folks starting to do that work, but we just need to do a little bit more of it. The us versus them, there's way too much of that in society in general, but like you were saying how uh, the people who are new to Colorado and the people who have been here for generations, their family's been here, how does one lead uh, to address everybody, what everybody wants out of Colorado? I, I think listening and humility go a long way. There's something to be said for the foundations of, of winning friends and influencing people from a genuine place of, you know, we don't, we don't do enough of it. We, we retreat into our corners, as I was saying before, and we, and we stop listening. And we think that we have it figured out, uh, at least, you know, on certain, on certain issues. And so, you know, for me coming in, um, that's a personal practice is, is how do I make sure that I'm, I'm coming in open-eared and, and really trying to take on that information. It's also about hopefully uh, bringing perspectives, right? Learning to trust our own voices, something that I, I really appreciate in the fellowship as well is really breaking down those barriers and using it as a, as a training ground to say, 
you know, while while humility and listening is is my foremost priority, I also have to believe um, that I have a responsibility to to bring perspectives from the six prior driver's license <laughs> communities in in which I've lived in the past. Right, I think that's that's part of the part of the job is if we want to solve this diversity of perspectives comes down to to a whole lot of things but one of those things is let's see where we can learn from from other experiences right and then the rest of us have to listen to the guy and be open ear to the guy with the six driver's licenses because you do have valuable perspective does leadership or is it evolving I mean I feel like leaders now have the spotlight on them either they want to put their own spotlight on with social media or people are becoming more aware and want to know and because of the 24-hour news cycle people know what leaders are doing. Do leaders need to evolve or have they evolved you think over the last 10 years let's say since you've been with Civico? You know I, the, the topics of leadership are like 3,000 years old um, and if you look at since Amazon became a, a, an online distributor of, of leadership content the, the amount of leadership content has gone through the roof but I don't think we've seen a commensurate improvement in the quality of leadership action. We're sort of just doing this, you know, and I find that gap to be quite interesting that we have more leadership content, but we're not necessarily leading any better. And so we do believe that leadership is the root of all solutions. Uh, we live in a state where 40% of our voters are independent. And so in the fellowship class, what we try to promote is really just common sense coupled with uncommon leadership skill. Uh, and you know, over time, as these cohorts grow, we have uh, hundreds of leaders now ready to take on these big challenges together. And that's the only way that I think all this stuff gets better here in Colorado aims a lot with your work, your leadership work, you look at the root cause. And the root cause of why things have been done for so long, why things are happening now. Um, and what, explain why that's so important for leaders to kind of look deeper to why things are and why things might need to change. Yeah, I mean, I think if we're not willing to look at our history, we're just going to repeat it, right? And and uh, and so, I think we need to be honest with with ourselves to to speak to your point, Ryan, of why aren't leaders necessarily changing, or what are the opportunities there for leaders? I think we we have to keep looking at ourselves to do our own work to be able to show up in ways that we can be aggressively humble and we can be open to hearing each other. Uh, and so, I, I think that. Um, yeah, lo looking at the binaries that divide us, those, that's an old way of doing things. Binaries actually, uh, uh, you know, although helpful as far as naming and defining things, it's part of the old narrative. And so I think as leaders, we need to be willing and have the courage to, to speak truth to power, to disrupt those old narratives in a way that, uh, that, still, that still creates inclusion and still creates opportunities for connection but, but it allows us to expand the conversation in a way that maybe we're uncomfortable with, and that's gotta be okay. Yeah. So when I was saying, oh, the divide, oh, the divide between people who lived here, I'm thinking the, the old way. <laughs> mm. I need to stop thinking or asking questions like that, perhaps. 
Thank you. You made me more mindful. Um, Mike, as someone who works with this massive company, why is it so important for companies now and groups like Civico to welcome the nonprofit sector in, to have those conversations, how we, to make our communities better? Well, at the risk of borrowing from a prior comment, I think humility is an important part of it. It's recognizing that we all have a role to play. It's one of the things I'm most grateful, not just about the fellowship program, but about Civico, um, is, is bringing together those different perspectives because you know I see it in, in my role day in and day out. Um, I, I'm here to say I don't, I don't find business to be uh, exclusively evil and I don't find profit to be exclusively a problematic motivator, but I do think that it, it plays a, 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 a particular role in society. And so, you know, whether that's uh, the opportunity to learn from each other uh, at, at the highest level, maybe, the, the highest inspiration of we all want to build a better community and take a long-term view, and part of that means we need mission-driven organizations just as much, and some might say more than we need profit-driven organizations. You know, the other piece of this is, let's be honest, enlightened self-interest. There's no question that uh, whether we're talking about the biggest tech companies or the smallest mom-and-pop shops, uh, consumers, you know, the folks who, who pay the bills, keep the lights on for the for-profit sector, expect corporate social responsibility. At varying levels, it, it, it changes maybe on the details, but really I think when you talk about uh, getting local, when you talk about our state in particular, I think we've got a pretty enlightened group of, of consumers, of folks who go out and, and buy eggs and milk and bread and also look to advertise for their businesses in my case and you know at the end of the day they're looking for companies to to be more and do more right and that starts at the CEO level and it, and it cascades all the way down to, to to foot soldiers you know carrying out the, the the functions of businesses as well so the chance to have that collaborative conversation to cover both sides of of mission-driven organizations and for-profit organizations and not trying to do everything yourself maybe is the theme here um, is, is important Ryan, why did you years ago create and invest in this dream of Civico and create this fellowship program? <laughs> it's kind of a funny story. Governor Hickenlooper at the time, Senator Hickenlooper now, he had assembled a group of business leaders um, from both sides of the aisle, and they were meeting monthly, and, the, and I got to participate in that, which was a huge honor at, at a time of my life when I was really seeking that kind of you know, stimulation and such. And at, after one of the meetings, Governor Hickenlooper asked me to build this program. And I was just starting a new CEO job, and I said, I just don't have time. And he said, and then I said, well, and who's going to pay for it? He goes, oh, no, you're going to pay for it, too. <laughs> okay. And I was like, well, I don't have the money either. <laughs> and he looked me deep in the eyes, and he said, look, Ryan, the question for you is, do you want to be successful or do you want to be significant? And it really hit me hard. And I immediately said, number one, I will build this program. And number two, I will pay for it. And since then, we've had partners that participate with us, like the Betcher Foundation and others. But it really came from that very moment. And so we actually talk about the difference between significance and success in our fellowship class. Significance means that we're significant in our companies, in our organizations, and with our families, with our friends, uh, in our communities, certainly. And, you know, the great thing about significance is there's such a great return on that mindset internally. Um, you know, and I think it's just more, a more fulfilling way to live. So it was a formative time of my life and a formative, um, I think, 
comment that he made to me that has created uh, a great legacy for him in the state. I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of him uh, and very humbled that he, he gave us this opportunity. Did you all know that story? Hmm. No, no, it's pretty cool. Thank you for sharing. Ames, how the last many months with Civico helped you or clarified for you what you need to do to integrate more restorative practices? How has it solidified your purpose or your calling? Yeah, I think it's helped me see and learn more about the different systems that exist in our, in our uh, state government and communities. Um, and again, being able to hear where the entry points are to access and utilize and enhance the use of restorative practices. Um, and so I think that um, you know, being able to be exposed to this, these different levels of uh, practitioners and department heads and, and politicians allows me to hear where are the gaps, where are the opportunities to build stronger relationship, where are the opportunities to take accountability, practice accountability, uh, create healing opportunities through relationships. Um, and also helped remind us that these are not new concepts. These concepts have been around for thousands of years. And, and, and so how do we um, honor and acknowledge the roots of these values in a way that can help us acknowledge the, the roots of our systems currently and then how we can move forward in ways that really deeply honor those commitments of, of how we want to move forward together. Excellent. Azarel, we talk about underserved communities. You work with underserved communities. How do we get that word underserved to go away? How do we give service and, and make people feel, have their lives be full? Well, first and foremost, we begin by start, we serve them so they are no longer underserved. Yes. But one of the really important components, I think, as we talk about um, the Colorado budget and all these other pieces of the nonprofit and for-profit sector, is that we have communities that have historically been left out of resources. We have our different minority groups. We have a Hispanic community that's been here for a really long time and, and it's been underserved. And I think one of the things that's really important is giving folks, um, if, if we can't make larger systematic changes, because sometimes those take a little bit more time, how can we get folks the appropriate tools like education, like investment to compete in the current um, market in the current situation. I think that's one of the things that's really important. And that's how we serve them. And that's how we take steps to make Colorado a more diverse and equitable place. Okay. All right. Uh, near the end of every show here on Colorado Inside Out, we go down the line of the table, have our panelists mention a high or a low of the week, and we start with a low point, so we end on a positive note. So for this group, why don't we go down the line and recognize something that maybe disappoints you or something you know we could do better in Colorado? I'll start with you, Ryan. Look, I think the national um, narrative, the the conversation, the tone is just super negative right now. I think we're all a little down in the dumps in terms of just the state of our union. Um, and so one thing we could do better, I think, is recognize that the, the source of that negative distraction does not come from MSNBC or Fox News. It actually comes from ourselves. What are we focused on? Are we watching the news and consuming this stuff? I mean, it's a volunteer activity. Uh, and so I think if we changed our focus to just making Colorado awesome, we wouldn't hear all that crap anymore. Uh, and so I, I look at that both sort of sadly and also optimistically that it's, it's up to us to do that together. Ames? 
I appreciate your emphasis around choice in what you said earlier, but also in, in how we're choosing to engage. And I think, I think we have a lot of, um, we've done a lot of great work in restorative justice in our state, but there's a lot of room for improvement in the criminal legal system, in our education system, in any organization. I like to say wherever organizations exist, we can use restorative practices. Uh, and in that, I think um, we haven't, but we could, have a larger statewide conversations around truth and conciliation of how our state came to be, what are some of the unhealed harms, um, and how do we emphasize accountability in that is as part of our moving forward. So I, I, I guess I don't feel disappointed, but I think that it's more of there's a lot of room for those conversations that would allow us to move in a different trajectory. Okay. I think one of the things that I am disappointed by, but I, I hope it improves, is our ongoing lack of participation in voting. You know, that is one thing that all, most citizens hopefully have the access to um, participate in this very key process. And I understand we have families, we have jobs, we have a million other things pulling us a million other directions that takes our attention away. But one of the things that I was disappointed by was a little bit of, of the turnout, you know, and it is an off year. It's not a presidential election year, but I think it's really important for folks to lean in and engage and ask those questions and not be ashamed that maybe that proposition sounds a little bit too confusing because they do often and being able to lean in and try to engage in our process. And it's something that we, we can do better, Colorado, and I really encourage folks uh, watching to uh, get out and vote next election cycle. Absolutely. Mike. Tough thing to go forth on. Um, I, I, I think that the, the one additional area that stands out to me for us is as great as our Western independent streak is, um, I, I, I hear a little bit of short-termism in how we think about solving problems as, as voters as a state. When I think about, you know, Ryan brought up Tabor, uh, recently we had the, the election on HH, and you know, to Azrael's point, it, it seems complicated and so folks just opt out, right? The blue book is, is too dense, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna go there, I'm not really gonna take the time to understand this. Um, you know, historically it's been, you know, a, maybe a less uh, diverse state, it's been a less high, high profile, high powered state, and, and the issues maybe have been a little bit less complex, so it's been easy to go by the way of, of single rule voting and, and you know, taking things at face value and making one-off decisions. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I think our challenges are, are more complex now and they deserve uh, a more thoughtful approach. And, and I hear folks, you know, in the most recent election, I, I heard a lot of people who have been here for a long time who are super thoughtful said, oh, I don't, you know, I, I don't want to see taper go away. I really look forward to that refund every year. And that's, that's fine. You know, I'm not coming out one way or the other on taper. I just think that at the end of the day, uh, the other conversation is, well, how are we funding? How are we funding education? How are we paying teachers? How are we improving for the long term? Uh, and, and if we take a short-term one-off approach to, to governance, to problem solving, to coming together, uh, it, it's hard to see how, how things really change in a meaningful way. Thank you. Okay. Now we're going to end on something positive. Or since it's Thanksgiving week, something that makes you grateful here in Colorado or something that makes you hopeful, Ryan. As far as a grateful comment, I, my father had his birthday last, uh, well, on Saturday. And so I got to go up with my family and celebrate his birthday in my hometown of, of Granby, Colorado. So I've got you on the, on the rural thing. And just going over birth and pass, um, alone in my thoughts, uh, it was just an abundance of gratitude that we get to live in this state. I mean, you know, you travel around the world and we, we live in a pretty amazing place. And uh, it gives me both gratitude and inspiration to not just protect what makes Colorado so great, but also to like 
lean into it, we can, we can be so much better. And anyway, it was just a really cool moment. I, I enjoyed celebrating my dad's birthday and being in, 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 in the mountains. It was great. Happy birthday, Ryan's dad. Thank you. Great. <laughs> Ames. Um, we have a lot of amazing healers in our community. People that are willing to name the hard things. People are willing that are that are willing to, to put skin in the game and and say this doesn't work anymore. What does work? How do I be a community builder? And and I see that and get to witness and and learn from people in my community and in my field all the time in that way. And that to me is continuing to build on the seeds and the roots of creating. Um, systems and processes and communities that really serve one another from a point of healing and transformation. Uh, so that that leaves me very hopeful. Okay. Uh, one of the things that I'm extremely grateful for is um, the opportunity that as a young Latina leader to be able to shop for these type of opportunities and to be able to be given a voice. And I'm so grateful for all the strong Latina leaders to come before me and those that will come after me. And I'm just really, really excited for that diversity leadership in our state. Great. Mike. I think the, the same thing that I, I brought up as maybe an opportunity uh, is also what gives me the most hope, and that's an independent streak that I think lends itself to an openness that you don't see in other places. That's why I've chosen this as my, as my home going forward. I, I really love and appreciate the openness that is encouraged of others. I'm also benefiting um, from the openness that, that others are, are bringing toward me. It's, it's that same thing that, that makes the fellowship so great. It's the chance to have you know great uh, new and growing friends like, like these two. Um, and so, you know, hopeful that, and, and excited about continuing to get to build on that. And as a sub-bullet, uh, to Ryan's point, my, my dog is absolutely living her best life here in the mountains, and, and that is really what matters. All our dogs are living their best lives in Colorado, right? <laughs> we just have <laughs> to make sure we do. Us. Right, yes, absolutely. Uh, can I make one more gratitude comment? Yes. We don't say this enough, but Governor Polis uh, uh, adopted this program from Governor Hickenlooper. And it was really unclear early days whether this was going to be something that he really leaned into. And he has. And we are just so grateful uh, that we have access to his cabinet, that we have access to his staff, that he is giving us you know, pats on the back for this commitment that these guys are making and is making himself available as a leader of leaders. You know, it's a, it's a big thing that he's doing. And so just shout out to Governor Polis. Thank you for... <laughs> supporting our work. We're, we're very grateful. Okay, good. And my pause of the week is meeting all of you and having the chance to recognize what they're doing, their goals, their desires, what they're thinking so we can kind of listen and let this all marinate in our own heads. So thank you for coming in. And while I'm in recognition mode, I would also like to uh, acknowledge that today is Native American Heritage Day, which allows for all of us to take a moment to honor and recognize the contributions of indigenous people. And I'm thankful for our growing audience here on Colorado Inside Out. Thank you for taking the time to be curious and engaged, especially on a week at week when you're already busy with family. All right, that's a lot of gratitude. Thank you all for everything. I am Kyle Dyer. I'll see you next week here on PBS 12. Take care.